Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show for writers and for readers and for anyone who loves stories. Today, I am, well, I'm, ne- look, I'm always excited. I'm always, like, probably too excited, probably slightly irritatingly excited, probably, in fact, uh, slightly uh, open bunny quotes, too much close, close bunny quotes, but I am particularly uh, uh, full of beans this morning because I am speaking to R.O. Kwan, uh, author of The Incendiaries. Hello, how are you? Hi. <laughs> what an introduction. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. You're most, most, most welcome. Um, I have been reading your book and uh, I know that's always like, <laughs> it can be a slightly, people always, I always, always, always feel like I'm kind of like wait, hanging in judgment slightly. It is really brilliant, but it's kind of like creates a, creates a, a weirdness now where I'm kind of like, I've been in your world for, for, a, for a week kind of uh, having this kind of like, we've had this shared hallucination. So to kind of like slightly diffuse the weirdness first before we get to that bit, um, I just wanted to ask... And I ask this of uh, most writers, just kind of like where, where, how did you, how did you get here? Like, I guess, like, how did you, where did you start off? Where did things start for you? Yeah, of course. Um, So it started, the the initial spark for me was um, that when I I grew up deeply religious, and when I was 17, um, I lost my faith, and like Will, like one of the central characters, I truly did believe that I was going to become a missionary um, or a reverend, that I was somehow going to devote my life to God, Um, and so losing that faith was devastating in a lot of ways, Um, and I just, I wanted to write a book. Can you remember how you, how you, how you, what, what was the... Did you lose it in like one moment of kind of like atavistic terror or was it slow or can, how did you, how did it, how did that start to change for you? Um, I love that atavistic terror. Um, I'd say it was all of the above really. So in a lot of ways, um, you know, the book, the book isn't terribly autobiographical in most ways. Like I, I haven't personally been a terrorist I haven't personally blown up any buildings, but the part that the part that is very emotionally autobiographical um, is Will's loss of his faith. And there's a part where he says it's like what people say about bankruptcy, that it happens gradually and then all at once. And that's pretty much what happened for me. It was just, you know, the questions, questions mounted and increasingly they became questions that I couldn't find a way to answer and stay within the faith. And 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 so. Yeah, because I was going to... It's always tempting when you're reading a book. And this, I wonder if this is quite annoying for you that I'm reading pretty much every character going, oh, I wonder I wonder if this is something that they've gone through. And maybe maybe it's because partly the characters feel very real in, in, mm. in the incendiaries that um, maybe, it, maybe it's a compliment, but it's a slight backhanded one where also I'm like going, well, you couldn't possibly imagine this or use, you know, the... the <laughs> The rules of fiction to come up with this character so sorry I, I kind of like interrupted you in the middle of saying so you kind of lost your faith so what happened what happened next for you having lost it 
So that's when I was 17. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for saying that about the characters. That means a lot to me. Um, and I, you know, I was, I was just so desperately lonely. Almost everyone I knew at that point was also deeply religious. Um, my family, my friends. And then I went off to college not long after that, where I hit a different kind of loneliness, where almost everyone I met um, wasn't wasn't at all religious. And I would tell my friends, you know, I would tell my new friends, you know, I used to be very Christian until very recently, and I'm not anymore. And their reaction by and large was, well, great, you know, like you can, you can drink, you can have sex, like good for you. Welcome to the free world. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that in a lot of ways for me. It was, it was, um, it was cataclysmic and I miss, and I was, I was still grieving. I think in a lot of ways I, I am still grieving. And so I think I felt very lonely on both sides. Um, and I think I, I wanted to write a book for that very lonely girl and to tell her, she, just to let her know that maybe she wasn't ever as alone as she thought she was. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Where people are like, oh, that's, that's, that's fine. Well, welcome to the age of rationalism. Mm. Have, have a drink. And it's kind of like, well... I'm still kind of contemplating that human consciousness doesn't survive death and that there's not a benevolent creator. What that's those are quite big things. It wasn't just like oh I don't get to I don't get to have a sing song on on a Sunday. It's like <laughs> this, this is my fundamental understanding of reality. Exactly. Um and this is another line I give to Will but I gave to Will but um I, I did just, I, I truly believed that I wasn't going to die. I believed that no one I loved was going to have to die. I believed that everything was going to work out for the best because there was, there was as you say, a benevolent, all-powerful being watching over everything. Um, and to go from that to believing none of that <laughs> was, was a big transition um, and one that I'm, I'm still adjusting to. Is it, is it hard? Because like the... The tendency to to admit that you that that's hard, and I I know what you mean about uh, about will that there's a kind of um, there's a there's a kind of there's that there's that loneliness that you describe that kind of almost kind of like ideological homelessness that comes out of everyone assuming oh if you're not if you if you don't have this faith. Mm. then you're just going to immediately then the then then the alternative is wild hedonism mm. um and and that actually you become sort of at home in neither in kind of neither culture it's 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 like you're you're neither one thing nor nor the other mm, mhm mhm yeah no that's so lovely um and so i think with this book it was important to me that i give life to varieties of religious experience um, so that maybe people who pick up this book, whether they're people who've never experienced religion or whether they're people who are deep in some variety of belief, um, could learn, could, could, could understand a little bit more about what it's like to be on some other part of the belief spectrum. I like this idea of there being a belief spectrum as well. That's a really lovely way of thinking about it because I think like when you come out of um, having strong beliefs which you understand to not be beliefs but just uh, a an accurate appraisal of the world as it is mm-hmm. um the idea that there might be other alternatives is is just is is, is bizarre and actually you know though knowing that there are other 
there are ways of engaging and apprehending the world that aren't necessarily your own and you're not just you're not just cast out into this kind of like barren wasteland of kind of like tumbleweeds and and stray dogs is is can be a way of kind of getting through that i guess yeah, Sorry, I was just going to say, like, <laughs> one thing I, I'm just aware of, um, aside from me just making kind of like broad philosophical assertions uh, at you, um, I was, I, for the listeners, uh, from the listeners' point of view, it'd be really nice if we could just very quickly, now we're kind of like getting onto the book itself, maybe um, just give them a little pricey of what The Incendiaries is about. Sure, of course. Um, so it's about a woman who gets involved with a group of fundamentalist Christians and the group turns out to be a radical group with, um, with enigmatic ties to North Korea, and they end up bombing five U.S. abortion clinics, healthcare clinics, in the name of faith. So, did can you talk about some of the how you got from your own experience to the idea? Where was the first sparks for this book? Sure. Um, let's see. So for the first... That was not a deliberate pun, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, right? All the fire and explosion um, uh, metaphors and words. Um, no. Well, so the first for the first two years is a much quieter book. It was sort of more or less about a woman. It was about Phoebe, about a, who's, who's a character in the book now. But it was about a woman sort of wandering around by herself um, meditating on the nature of an absent God. Um, and I really love, you know, I love meditative, walking around solitary books. Like I love Zabald, I love Teju Cole, um, but I don't think that's what this book wanted to be. And I found that once I started sort of externalizing my own obsessions with faith and loss and love, um, that that the book that's when the book book started really coming to life, and so that didn't happen until maybe around the two year mark. So how long how long did it take you to how how long did this book take you to 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 write? Because it's uh, this is your this this uh, yeah that's sorry I was gonna like add I was gonna <laughs> append lots of like clever things onto the end of that question, but that was literally my question. How long did it? And then I was like, that can't surely that's too that's just me being nosy, right? <laughs> No, not at all. Um, it's so the book took ten years. Um, which... Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I've, every time, every time, I, I think I'm still just like utterly aghast because I don't understand how that happened. Um, I'm no, really that's hoping. That's awesome. I'm full of no. It, it was a holy shit. I'm full of admiration. Not <laughs> holy shit, you, you monster. <laughs> I'm just really hoping the next book takes like maybe like six years. You know, six years sounds like a nice manageable number versus ten, but we'll That's see. Not, yeah. Um. And and so and so. Okay. So so the first two years was the. So hang on. So so that puts that two years into context, right? That that's two <laughs> years of it being this uh, of Phoebe kind of like uh, walking around and this kind of like quite richly textured um, her being in this kind of like environment and how it's kind of like psycho fictional psychogeography but that was only a fifth of the way into the writing progress okay so what happened next to change that um so for those first 20 years um I had spent all my writing time pretty much every day just sort of obsessively reworking the first 20 pages 
over and over and over again. Um, I had this idea that, so I, I love sentences. Um, I love words. I love syllables. I love individual letters of the alphabet even. And What's your favorite letter? I don't, it's not quite that I have favorites. It's more that I have, it's more that I have feelings toward the individual letter. Can you give me any, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I, I obviously, I wanted to jump at the chance, possibly the only chance I'll get into an, an interview where I'm supposed to be talking about literature to ask someone what their favourite letter of the alphabet was. I'm sorry, I couldn't let it pass. But can you give an example of why, what fee, of a feeling you have to, towards a particular letter? Um, this will sound so strange and I apologize in advance, but I have trouble talking about it because I'm afraid that they'll stop helping me if I go into the details too much. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. I I absolutely uh, respect that. And there's something, you know, there's something mysterious about the process. And maybe years ago, I would have slightly cocked a snook at people saying that. But the more I speak to writers and the more I have to deal with writing stuff myself, mm. the more I'm like, OK, cool. That's not necessarily someone trying to self-mythologize. It's someone that's just the truth. Like there's weird stuff that our brains do that we don't necessarily know about. That's cool. You you yeah. um, you, you keep the... I, I'm just imagining at your end there's like that the letter B has been whispering to, to you going like, don't tell them, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it's um you know I just feel as though I in so many ways I I try to be a rational person but I have so many writing related superstitions and habits and things that I I don't want I feel afraid to talk about because I feel as though writing's so hard and when there's something when I come across something that helps me it almost feels as though it's like it's like the ways in which like and I, I rarely feel comfortable talking about love for instance especially like people I love like it feels it feels as though it's just like inviting 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 evil to or like inviting bad luck to talk about the things you love <laughs> crikey wow that's it feel that's that sounds like it must be I mean you're you're laughing about it but that sounds quite that sounds quite stressful <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But it's okay. You know, it's okay. As long as, as long as, as long as, as long as I can keep writing. That's, that's what matters, right? So, yeah, okay. I want to, I'm going to come back to that in a a second, because I think that's really, really interesting. And I love talking about writing motivation and how you do things. But see, so you were just saying, you got to this you got to you love language Mm -hmm. you love words and we were just talking about how the book started to transform from being a kind of like a series of kind of like maybe just kind of like a kind of very fairly gentle character study into Mm -hmm. something with uh maybe a little bit more heat Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so well so so i think i realized that i wanted to start um well i don't quite know Slowly, it dawned upon me that I needed to externalize or that I was more interested in externalizing some of these obsessions. Um, and at a certain point, I was volunteering for just one just one day. Um, that was all they needed me for. But I was volunteering at a Planned Parenthood, um, which, among other services, it, they offer, of course, abortions. And I was volunteering as a patient escort, um, which, if you don't know, is... That meant that I was walking p- 
people back and forth from their cars because they people will come people outside right who are like chanting sometimes and singing and things like that exactly exactly um i had sort of like my vest on that said i was there as a volunteer and i would just walk people back and forth and i realized that you know just looking at the signs of the protesters and looking at what they were and listening to what they were saying it was clear that they were all religious and they were all christian um and so i just felt this like nearly physical like it was just like physical split almost like inside of my own body between who i used to be and who i was at that moment um because i did used to be so religious that i could that i that i pretty much believed what those protesters believed and then here I was, um, very much not believing what they believed anymore, being very opposed to, to their to their stance, um, and walking and and just walking people and wanting to protect the women who were there to, to to perhaps to perhaps um, have abortions. And so I think that's when I like sometime after that I realized, well, this is one way in which differences in faith are so visible and so painful um, in the U.S. And I think that's how that part of the book started coming about for me. Yeah, God, you must have had a real out-of-body experience of, of being able to really, really imagine how yourself through those people's eyes who were watching you. Yeah, exactly. It was it was just so it was it was eerie in a lot of ways. Um and yes, yeah, so I think that's I think that's how that part of the book started coming about. Um it was it was gradual, almost everything almost everything about this book was gradual as as one can probably guess from from the 10 <laughs> from the 10 years, but uh, but yeah. Yeah, and um what when you say it was gradual, I just want to get a sense cuz like I know lots of the emails I get from people struggling with writing mm. uh, and sometimes struggling with motivation feeling low feeling that they're not getting anywhere what what was it that kept you writing through this period that kept you coming back back to it that didn't make you just go oh well I'm gonna move on to some something something else yeah no that's a great question um let's see well part of it for me was that I did feel this just I felt I felt it was important to write this book because there just weren't that many books, um, especially when I started writing this book. I mean, and since then I've come across more books that do grapple with faith, um, but there still isn't that much fiction, I'd say. Um, I mean, Graham Greene does it in a wonderful way, of course. Um, there are other writers I really, really love, but but I, I wanted to write a book that I hadn't quite read yet. Um, and I wanted to write a book that had, that grappled with what was and still is the sort of the central pivotal loss of my life. Um, so that was that was one part. And the second part was, you know, when I'm writing and when I'm deep in it um, and when I'm deep in a sentence and just trying to make it as true and good and real as I possibly can. Um, and 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 my attention is 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 entirely absorbed. It's it's it truly is the most joyful, wonderful um, egoless state I know of and it's as close to religion as I can get anymore and I love being there and when I'm there um, I don't I'm not worrying about the fact that I'm at year four year six year eight um, I don't have space to worry about myself and I don't have space to worry about what I'm doing with my life or why I didn't become a dermatologist I would have made an excellent dermatologist 
like all of those sort of larger questions of what am I doing? How am I on year eight of this novel? I have nothing to show for myself. Um, those just go away when I'm deep in the writing. And those were, so those were very sustaining for me. Anytime I could, anytime I could have those sort of short, lovely moments of believing in a book. Can I ask you, and feel free to resist this or just say I'm talking bollocks, but it's so, having now talked to you a bit, it's so tempting to look at um, Phoebe and her relationship to playing the piano Mm. with some of the way you talk about writing. Partly the, um, this kind of flow state or this, state of losing oneself in the art Mm -hmm, but also mm -hmm. and I know it was partly with your tongue in cheek but when you talked about how you're sort of obsessed with with getting uh with you know getting the sentence right with perfecting that one bit but writing being you said writing so hard and then you said um when you talked about preserving these little superstitions you said well at least I can at least I can still write I've got to keep writing Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now I am obviously you know like I I, I, but Phoebe like really struggles with like this conflation of what she can produce as an artist Mm -hmm. and her basic existential value right there's like a any any threat to her piano playing is like an ontological threat Mm. can I just ask how you feel or what you felt you were exploring through her 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 art oh that's such a that's such a lovely and perceptive question um I haven't been asked that before let's see um I did give Phoebe a lot of a lot of her sort of like the breadth and depth of her ambition um, was, those did come from feelings I've had over the years. I will say that um, Phoebe has an impatience that I tried not to have, or Phoebe has a sort of belief in talent as being, as being a static, as being more static than I believe it to be. Um, I almost believe that, let's see, how would I put this? I almost believe that obsession and love themselves um, can, can beget talent and can, and, can, and can lead to more ability. Um, and whereas I think Phoebe believes that her ability to play the piano is a much more fixed quality, which makes her much more impatient. Yeah. Do, do, do you think... Are the feelings that she uh, that she's had? Because I get you know, you know when you and that was one of the reasons I was hesitant is because when the way you talk about writing this over ten years and the way you talk about the process being rewarding in itself, mm. those are she really when she hits what she's aiming for, she's I I mean I. I relate, I think that lots of readers actually will relate to her, not because they've got so much talent, but basically just being like the bright kid who thinks that hitting, you know, excelling is basically you're hitting a standard Mm -hmm. and you can kind of breathe for those moments. 
but that's what you have to do because you've been bequeathed this kind of like birthright of being good but you don't get to enjoy it you just have to do it and if you do, if you can't do it then you feel like you're falling apart i certainly in reading her relate it was actually really painful to read because not not that i've been some kind of like writing prodigy everyone's kind of like applauded and said wow to but just that feeling mm. of there's 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 a there's a sketch with Zach Gilifanakis as a um as a children's acting coach and you see him scream at the children during one cutaway you're not a person if you're not acting wow and, and that's how i <laughs> and that's how i that's how i've felt about writing and that's how i felt like phoebe sometimes feels like she's not a person if she's not playing well yeah i just want yeah is that I just wondered if that's if those feelings, if she is somehow channeling like the the devil on your shoulder, like the dark side of <laughs> love and faith and obsession. Ah, oh, that's such a good question. Um, you're asking such good questions. Let's see. I think in some ways, in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no. Um but that's a that's a boring, vague answer. So let's see if I can get more specific. Um, I think. Okay, here's what I think. I think there are. This is something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Actually, I think there. Are, I think there is, and I know not everyone agrees with me, but I think there are two different kinds of ambition that can feed, um, that can feed or hurt an artist. And so, one kind is the ambition for the art. And the ambition for the art is that the ambition be the best it can possibly be. Um, and at least for me, and again, I know not everyone agrees, and I write our friends who say that this never happens for them, but at least for me, when I'm deep in it and I'm working and I'm trying to make the art as good as it can be, I, I, I really do, as Phoebe does when she's playing the piano at her best, I lose all sense of myself and I'm not worried. I have nothing to worry about because I'm just thinking about the work. Um, and then there's the ambition that has to do with publication and recognition and prizes and the external world, external affirmation. Um, and I think these are very different, almost rivers or rivers is a terrible metaphor. Um, I should come up with a better metaphor. I'm a writer, but, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're just two very different varieties of ambition. And I think that I find the first kind of ambition to be very helpful and nourishing and the more I can focus on that kind of ambition the better the better at least the better no, the, the better my writing is and gets uh, but also I feel better um, and the more I'm concerned about and spending time thinking about the second kind of ambition the worse I feel and I think the worse my writing gets um, and again this is this is for me I'm not saying that this is true for all writers by any means it's, it's, it's true true for me I, I i'm just sitting here nodding away i think that's you've articulated beautifully something that i've there's just been just been repeatedly true and i've sometimes had to learn the hard way that like when i'm writing something you know when mm. i'm current work in progress when I'm, I'm i'm writing it and i'm just having a lovely time because i'm just involved in the problems of the scene you know I'm just going what's going to happen next and I'm coming yeah. up with stuff I'm not worrying too I'm not thinking how will this be received I don't I don't care it's not that's not the game 
Yes, exactly. It's such a, it's, I mean, and I, I, I realize this anytime I have the great good luck of going to, I mean, I love artist residencies, you know, where any, anytime I can go somewhere where I, I can really focus on the work. Um, and there's some, and there are lovely people who are housing you and feeding you and taking care of other, all the other concerns. And when I'm there, um, other than being away from, being away from my loved ones is always hard, but I, I enter into such a, I become a better person in a lot of ways because I'm, I'm just doing the work um, and I'm spending so much less time on the internet. I'm worrying so much less about, again, like what I'm doing with my life and where I am. And, um, and I'm just thinking about the book and what it could be and what, and yeah, exactly. Like what, what's going to happen next in this scene? What is this character? What's this character going to do in this moment? What would they say? And it's so fun. Um, I mean, it's also really hard, but it can be so fun and wonderful. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard. Like uh, kind of like math puzzle is hard. It's hard. Like mountain climbing is hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Like swimming in a freezing cold sea is hard because it's, you have chosen it and you take your sovereignty into the process and I think that completely changes how it feels and your perception of it yeah and I think there's also just something so magnificent about being able to have my attention entirely absorbed by something over and over and over again um and it's a state of being that's hard to achieve otherwise, at least for me. Um, I love that you mentioned rock mountain climbing because my, my preferred form of exercise is to go rock climbing. And I think I also love that because it's a, um, I'm not very good, but rock cli- when I'm rock climbing, I truly can't think about much else than what my next step will be um, because I'm worried I'm going to fall off and injure myself or die. Um, and again, there's something about just having my attention entirely on the on the wall that that sort of cleans out my head and and gives me space to go then go back to my writing and try to achieve a different kind of attention. Yeah, I'm gonna have to s- stick to writing. I think for the foreseeable future because my strength to weight rate ratio is is appalling. I, can <laughs> I, I, I just it's so it's so disappointing to kind of like get on the first problem and then like. Uh, uh, and then I'm just just this fat hairy bloke clinging to a rock about three inches off the ground (laughs) I'm I'm gonna just jump into like a question about the actual story and the characters uh before I kind of like go back to one I'm kind of parking about uh uh, being a writer but thank you so much because that is fascinating and great and just really really useful for people to hear I want to I want to talk about the, I mean, I don't know whether you would resist the characterization of the group as a, as a, as a cult, but um, I just want to talk about whether there were, how you started to develop what they were about and what they believed in. And uh, and I guess the question, and this is purely my being nosy, but were there any real world models that you looked at when you were trying to kind of like create the reality of... um, of of what Will and Phoebe and get sort of become, find themselves drawn into? Yeah, of course. No, that's a great question. Um, let's see. Uh, the cult, you know, I, I did do, for at least a few months, I did a great 
deal of research. I read all the nonfiction I could find about cults um, and about radical religious groups in general. And But then after that, I stopped. Um, and I tried to the extent possible to forget everything I'd read. Um, and I very much wanted this cult to arise from John Leal's own obsessions, the cult leader, um, from his obsessions, his life. Um, and I didn't want it to feel... Yeah, I didn't want it to be modeled on any one cult. Um, But, you know, since the book has come out, so many readers have have come up to me, you know, after readings or or during the Q&A, and they'll ask, and they'll ask, you know, is this cult based on the children of God? Is it based on X? Is it based on Y? Um, And again and again, I just say, no, it's not. Um, And I think people have named at this point 20 different cults that they're pretty sure my book is based on. <laughs> and I think maybe, um, you know, I, I hesitate to generalize about this kind of thing, but maybe it indicates that cults have a lot more in common than they don't in terms of how leaders how, gain followers, how they gain power, how they keep their power. Yeah, I think it's always... I, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it was tempting as I started to kind of like, you're always, I think you're always looking for... In the same way, sometimes when I'm reading books without wanting to, I'll start casting various characters as like movie actors or whatever, just so I've got like a visual kind of like waypoint. I think at the beginning, I was kind of like starting to go, oh, is this going to be like a Jim Jones? Is this going to be like David Koresh? But <laughs> like you say, like, I think if you follow the when because you'd already spent quite a lot of time sort of letting this reality stew you know letting Mm. letting the bones of this reality kind of like boil down into a broth that um it can't help being its own thing because it's situated in a moment but because you follow the emotional truths of this character these characters um they can't help but connect to stuff that already exists it's like it's like in the specific we find all the stuff that links us to the to the general infinity in a grain of sand. Um, mm-hmm. Can you, but can, can you talk about, I'd just like to ask you about the diff, the, I guess the danger is always, and you must have felt this as you were writing, that it's quite a, it is, is of kind of like garish sensationalism. And if, you know, if I wouldn't be able to write something like this, because my cult leaders would like, would literally have like a kind of oiled moustache and would be, (laughs) and and would be all but uh, tying shrieking petticoated ladies to train tracks. Like I, I, I would really, really struggle not to make them a cartoon supervillain who was like monologuing. How did you grant? How did you? What things did you do to ground these in, like these being human beings? Hmm, that's such a great question. Um, let's see. I found it to be. I did find it to be a very useful organizing principle and framework. Um, that the book is, and I don't think I'm giving too much away by saying this. Um, but by having will be the sort of the principal narrator um and by having even the parts that are told from Phoebe's and John Leal's points of view um be filtered through him in a lot of ways it meant that there was only so much Will could know or imagine about what happened um and it meant that there was a lot 
that he can't know and wasn't there for, especially with the cult. Um, and so I think I did end up leaving a lot to both Wills and therefore the reader's imaginations. Um, so that was one part of it. Another part of it was, and I, I always, I worry when I say anything like this that, that, um, that my parents will start getting worried, but in some ways I found John Leal to be the, um, the most natural, char- easiest character to write. <laughs> and I think in some ways I was, cha- I was channeling a part of myself that had gone untapped for so long, which is, which is the part of myself that, that did think I could be, I could be a servant of God. Um, and the, the thing about his sections is he gets to dwell or he, he's dwelling in a realm of language more so than the other characters. Um, because in his, his sections are essentially all sort of quotations of things John Leal has said or things that he might have said or things that he might be thinking. Um, and John Leal uses language to persuade which I found to be a very, um, I don't know, I, I just felt very energized while writing those sections. Do you, it, do you see yourself as, I mean, was there, a, uh, was there an element of wish fulfillment in writing those sections? Um, I, I, sorry, just to be clear, I don't mean that you <laughs> want to bomb a series of... Uh, uh, of um abortion clinics i mean yeah i mean that feeling of knowing how things are and what you have to do that's again that's such a lovely question no one's asked um i don't think i i it wasn't wish, wish fulfillment but there was no wish fulfillment in that regard really i think where there was wish fulfillment and i think what did draw me to the part of what drew me to the idea of writing about what what um, turned out to be a cult is being able to believe in something that strongly again. Um, be, being in a world in which you can believe in absolute truths like that was that 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 when I was able to believe that strongly in a god and when I was able to be I I, mean, I was quite I was quite fanatical when I was Christian um, and I was so happy. Because I, there were so many questions that had fallen silent. Um, and I believed I was doing the right thing. I, was, I believed I was in service to a greater good. Um, and there was a peace that I've, never, that I've never found again. But, and now this is, the, now this is but the, here's the interesting thing. So you create, you, so like fantastically and wonderfully, you spend all this time kind of building this this kind of garden for yourself you know this this fictional world this place that you can hang out in where you can re-experience some of those feelings that you've lost Mm. but at the same time it would be mm, it wouldn't be the book it is if um these characters went had these feelings of faith and then it was just like, and um, and they lived their lives fulfilled, and uh, everything was that did not that was uncom. They had an uncomplicated uh, relationship <laughs> to those things, and there were no external consequences whatsoever, right? But you've not written a book that just allows you to 
go, it kind of it it, it sh- the consequences of that completely uh, that complete absorption that complete belief are that stuff gets <laughs> like shit goes down right <laughs> and so at the same time you, you I, I wonder what you think as what I wonder if anything that I guess what I'm getting at is like a lot of authors I've spoken to have sort of reflected that a book um, was them grappling with something, a question or a loss or something in their life that they just could not. They didn't seem to be an answer to. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if in the process of writing the book, if you got any further on your thinking or if something shook loose or because because, the mm. you know, the consequences of this faith are are are. are in many ways, some there's some of it's beautiful, but a lot of them are horrible. Yeah. And I, I want you know, I wonder what you were telling yourself or what you think you learned from writing it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I was telling myself anything in writing the book, but I do think it's possible that when I started, I think that when I started this book, um, I don't think I would have fully expected that, you know, 10 plus years later, now that the book's out, that I would still miss God as much as I do, um, that this grief would still feel so fresh. And I think I'm maybe starting to, it's not accept, it is an acceptance, but maybe I'm starting to understand or believe that it's possible this, that grief like this doesn't end. Um, and that sometimes love doesn't end. And that's how it's going to be. And that maybe I haven't stopped loving God. It's just that I've stopped believing in him. I'm just going to... There's a question that I've been kind of sitting on. And I want to ask it it to you. And I'll just out bluntly ask. (laughs) What's it like being a cool author? (laughs) I say, the I, 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 reason is because I'm never going to experience this, but I'm like, I'm very aware that like you've written a book that, you know, all the right people are reading. It's like, it's really, it's really exciting. It's kind of literary, but it's also, uh, it's, but it's also kind of like dangerous. You know, loads of people are reviewing it, saying how wonderful it is. Um you and you're getting you're getting this acclaim that you said like is sometimes you know like responding to these kind of external validations you say is like sometimes not that healthy and you prefer this kind of ego but i just wondered what your experience now you've had this thing that you've been nurturing for 10 years and working on in this kind of like craft and then you open it up into the world and you let other human beings into this kind of repeated fever dream that you've been having for years, suddenly they can have it too. Mm. And they know the character, they know the characters that you've been hanging out with and they're calling them by name. What's that, what's that been like for you? Oh, um, well, thank you for saying that. That's, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, of course, I mean, and of course I'm, I feel just, very surprised and very grateful um for the things that have been happening when happening with this book you know um as as i'm sure you know um a book comes out into when once a book starts coming out into the world i mean i had i didn't know what to expect um it's my first book i didn't know i had no idea what would happen um and i've been i feel very lucky um i feel a 
great deal of obligation and, and I want to feel this obligation. I hope I never feel this kind of, stop feeling this kind of obligation to, to pay it forward um, and to give back to a literary community that I found to be incredibly generous. Um, and yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, <laughs> it, it, it does. It does. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I suppose, I, I suppose I was, um, I was angling for you to, <laughs> to reveal some private torture about, uh, about the pressure. Um, and if you're not feeling that, that's wonderful and I'm really 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 glad happy for you um that's that's great I was just I'm just interested because it's just it's a big gear change from kind of like us talking about craft in kind of isolation and in service of the book itself and a book as a kind of public cultural artifact that other people can start engaging with and imagining and like you say uh, ascribing certain in- intents to your work or coming up with their own interpretations or reviewing it and appraising it um mm. it's this phase that's very that's very different and it just seemed I just wondered how that sort of for for a lot of people that gear that gear shift is that I speak to that a lot of people that gear shift is for ages has been th- going to be the point of, of validation you know that, that's the mm. big sort of like creative orgasm that you get at the end of all of all this huffing and puffing and then they get to it and it's actually sorry to, to the, the metaphor now ends badly but like it, <laughs> it's strange strangely strangely disappointing and anticlimactic mm. um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they just feel kind of like grim and shivery but like <laughs> it's like it's that I, I but it sounds to you like actually at the moment at least it's been it's not it's been reasonably validating um let's see i feel i think i feel mostly to be honest i think i feel mostly confused um which isn't which isn't a particularly satisfying answer i imagine but when my so when my when my sort of first book of book first like box of books arrived from my publisher um and i was opening it my husband, for fun, was taking a, a video of me opening the video, um, the books. We never posted it online because I thought it was too goofy. But I was, um, I was sort of yelling in his direction, and I, I don't even remember saying this because I think I was too overwhelmed. But I was yelling in his direction that I, I have too many feelings and, and I don't know what they are. Um, and I think that that general sense has sort of persisted over these past. Over these past few months, um, I have so many feelings and I don't know what they are. Um, but I mean, I, I, I will say that I haven't, I'm, I finally slowly started getting back into it, but um, I haven't really had the time to write for a few, for at least a few hours a day, which is, which is, which is, which is where I'm happiest. At least a few hours a day is what I want um, since around December, January. And I would love to be back there i mean i i i know that once i get back there i'll be i'll be more myself um and i won't be quite as off center that, uh, i just uh, first to say that is a really satisfying answer because it's uh, it's really honest and thank you so much for sort of opening up about it cuz i think i think what is almost the unsatisfying answers are always the pat easy 
answers that come out with like a so if you can sum it up in a in a sort of trite aphorism then it's probably not actually going to engage with people and actually this kind of like <laughs> getting into the nuance of it and the difficulty and and I, I don't I don't know is like a, actually to me is like that's the side of that's the flip side of the certainty and happiness of faith mm. is this wonderful what's that what's that roomy quote that people always uh, come out with um sell your cleverness and buy wonder that feeling of like <laughs> that feeling of like going i don't know what the fuck is going on wow <laughs> like it's, it's, that's a nice place to be and I, I know what you mean though that like when a book comes out everyone you know i'm talking to you now i'm going you are an author and we're playing the game of like putting on these author identities and having opinions about <laughs> literature and if you're at the same time because of all the promotion you're doing not getting to actually like turn up at the page and and be shit and kind of like make sentences better and move words around and go actually this needs to end with this strong noun mm-hmm. you can feel like a fraud because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're like going it's like you're you're going around being the big author and for the first time in ages you're not you're not doing any authoring you're just doing the external stuff that looks like authoring to people who don't write um <laughs> exactly. and, and, and so it can it can be a bit itchy yeah um and i've you know at readings um when people ask about my writing routine at this point i always qualify it with um well i used to have a very rigid writing routine <laughs> <laughs> until some months ago and it's been less rigid so let me talk about my past self um can, can i <laughs> Can I ask you about that? Um, if you've got like, if you've got the um, writing routine answer in the hopper waiting to go, <laughs> I would love for the for for um, our listeners to hear how you managed that when yeah. you were doing it. Of course, of course. Um, so it's when I, I realized over time that I write best if I just go as fast as I can with as little interruption as possible from bed to the page and so I would get out of bed um I would make coffee with a sad oh and I used to be I mean I love delicious coffee I used to be someone who hand grinds my coffee um etc etc I gave up on all of that I started drinking coffee from a Keurig machine even though it tastes like a sad sad substitute sad ghost version of the living beautiful coffee I used to love (laughs) because it's fast and it gets me what I need as quickly as possible um and I just go straight to the page I have a I won't talk I won't talk before I start writing rule um and so if my husband's around and it's the weekend it means at best like he can get like a kiss on the cheek but I don't want to exchange words with him because that'll make it harder for me to get into the page I'm just trying to go as fast as I can from the dreaming state to the different kind of dreaming state that exists when I'm writing. Um, And then I tried to get in at least an hour or two of at least decent, of of at least trying to write, even if the writing isn't coming um, particularly well before I eat anything, because I really love food and I find food to be extremely pleasurable, which means I find it to be extremely distracting. And not really helpful in those first couple of hours when it's when when I find it very hard to get into the the, the stream of things. Um, let's see. I also, for much of the ten years, um, if I knew I was going to have a writing day, I would keep the internet off and not really check the internet until the end of the day, if at all possible. 
I did not have a, a smartphone um, for the entire time I was working on this book. I've been borrowing a, a smartphone while I've been on tour because I find it, you know, it's just impossible to get around now without a smartphone. Um, but I'm fully intending to give this smartphone back once I'm done and to revert to my flip phone life um, in which I don't have a device near me that, that can tell me at all times what's going on in the world and what people are talking about on Twitter. I and what that so much. <laughs> I, I, I would have, like, I, I think I wouldn't have until a few months ago, but I that's because I was addicted. And, and so you're like anyone saying, oh, I think maybe, you know, it's sometimes good to not be on the internet. I'd be like, don't you take my internet away from me. You just, you just can't handle the future. And of course I was like, you know, I was like, 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 like a crackhead. I just couldn't like let go of one. It's, it's so, and, and then I just was miserable and stressed all the time because I was just like this, I was just like this kind of like chimpanzee in a cage wired <laughs> up to electrodes, kind of like occasionally just having doses of like the world is ending pumped into his head and not being able to do anything about it. And it's, ugh. so I think yeah. that's really, really, I think people need to hear that because it's so, I think you're so right. I think it's, it's so nice to just have such a nice thing to do for yourself to give yourself a break from that yeah and again um I learned that I think at artist residencies where they tended to have no internet in studios and very limited cell phone reception and I would just write so well when I couldn't when it would be Mm. when I when I would have to travel to like a different building to find out what everyone was talking about on Twitter that day um and you know it just turned out I don't have to know at every hour what everyone's talking about on Twitter that day. That doesn't I've help. Exa- <laughs> I've had exactly that experience, and it's like the first day when I go on writing retreats. I have I've, I discover I've got like a vestigial in, impulse where every so often my hand will go to my empty pocket, and, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, was oh, but then it goes, and you're like, oh, oh, actually, I didn't. I didn't need that like tiny little hit of uh, of dopamine mm-hmm. followed by like adrenaline and because mm-hmm. like something because you'd like seeing how many yeah it's re it's really really nice to to free yourself um, from those things and it and it's you know it worked for you and it allowed you and interestingly you talk about like getting up and trying to move as quickly to the page as possible that sort of sounds uh, sort of very along the lines of uh, Dorothea Brand's. Um, morning pages you know like getting these things these first thoughts down where you're still or Salvador Dali you know like going to sleep with kind of like his arm in the air and then as he starts dropping off his arm drops and it would kind of wake him up this like a kind of hypnagogic jerk Mm. and he would be able to like write stuff that he was was sort of in that liminal state between waking and dreams and it sounds like that was what you that worked best for you to kind of start writing yeah, I didn't know that about Dali. That's so lovely. I'm going to write that down. Um, I love that so much. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but anytime, pretty much any time I'm about to start writing um, on any given day, I feel as though terror is an attendant emotion. <laughs> um, and it doesn't matter what kind of day I had the night. The, if I had a great writing day before, then that's terrible because I know that the next day, the things I thought were great aren't going to look as good. Um, if I had a terrible writing day, then that's not good because then I'm sort of feeling discouraged and wondering if I 
have any idea what I'm doing um, and wonder if I'm just going to have another terrible day. And so the less I can just worry about any of that and just like jump into the writing, the the better it seems to go. Yeah, I think I, I've got I've I've definitely had those experiences. Uh, I've had them, you know, a, a lot. I think I think lately the two things that I've been doing that kind of like ended up teaching me to get through it was one, just making a habit of doing like little 10 minute uh, timed free writes where I don't think about what I'm going to write. And it's explicitly not on the work in progress. Mm. So there's always just a place I can go to to dump stuff that has no chance of or is, is explicitly not is about process rather than product. Uh, that really helped. The other thing which it makes me sound like a little bit of a a crank is um I, start, I started taking cold showers and just realizing training myself not to procrastinate by realizing that the shower wasn't going to warm up and so the only really horrible bit was the anticipation of the cold and there was no real there's no real working yourself up to it like it's it's going to be cold and the only time it stops being cold is when you've been in there a while and you get the vasodilation and you're body starts pumping blood to the outside of the skin so the quicker you can get in and get started the quicker you're going to get through to like three or four minutes in when it's fine and then you get out and you get this massive endorphin rush and that is not too dissimilar and you know fortunately that works as quite a decent metaphor for the writing process first minute is going to be horrible not as horrible as that 10 minutes before that first minute where you're just like doing this obsessive nest circling going what if i'm shit that's incredible i've never heard of anyone doing that with shower with cold showers before oh my god wow I mean, don't, oh, you, don't don't do it yourself because you will hate me you will curse my name and my family to the seventh generation if you get in a cold shower it's it's genuinely grim and it was worse than i thought it was going to be and i'm really glad that my wife and daughter weren't in the house because the scream i let out sounded like I was being murdered like it was really it was I knew it was going to be bad but it was really bad um but now I now I enjoy it wow what a story oh my gosh I don't know anyone who does that that's amazing yeah because it's like yeah and anyone who's taken a cold shower will understand why you don't know anyone who's who does it because it's horrible and it's the kind of thing that you only do if you're a writer and the one thing that I you know because it turns out I would rather do that than sit down and write so (laughs) The, the I mean that thing. part absolutely makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that. But now I do enjoy writing. I, I and I can sit down and and write, and I'm loving it. Um, the final thing I sort of wanted to, well, the, I, I, you know, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for giving up your time and being such a, a wonderful and articulate and uh, insightful and uh, honest guest. I really, really appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone who's listened, um has learned so much from hearing you reflect on your process in your book oh my goodness thank you this has been truly a delight to talk with you um yeah I, this so, was this was this was really lovely thank you so much i'm so so glad and the kind of like final thing i wanted to ask and it's a kind of unfair question so feel free to say <laughs> fuck off tim i'm not answering that but i just wondered because i asked this of genre authors i ask it of fantasy authors and science fiction authors and and it re- I realised it was unfair that I was like letting li- li- literary fiction authors off the hook, I guess. Um, I just wondered what you kind of like, what your take is on uh, where the kind of like literary fiction scene is at the moment and where you see it going. Huh, that's such an 
That's a great question. Um, let's see. One thing that is exciting me a lot um, about where about changes I see in literary fiction are. Well, so I'll say that um, for part of this, for much of the summer, I was keeping by my desk this sort of growing stack of debut books by Asian women. Um, and there were some Asian American women. Um, there was an Asian Canadian woman. It was just, it just all of these Asian women writing in English, um, writing their debuts, and they were all from the summer, and then started creeping into early fall too. And I just, it, I, I don't know what the absolute numbers are, but it did feel like it was, it was just more than I'd seen in the past. Um, and that meant so much to me as someone who. I mean, I didn't read my first, I'm Korean American, I didn't read my first Korean Americans until after college. Um, and to just see this variety of, of Asian American, of Asian, of Asian woman writing fiction um, that was coming out for the first time telling all these different stories, um, it just, it made me so glad every time I looked at that stack. Um, and yeah, I just hope that that kind of diversity of, of voices, of hearing different kinds of stories, I hope that that continues especially in the wretched world we're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell, tell me about it. I think, but I think that is love, that's a lovely sort of note of kind of hope to end on, that although we're kind of as creatures who are trained to spot threat and uh, see bad things because that's how we survive, mm. um, that there's actually loads of incredibly exciting uh positive kind of green shoots kind of breaking up through the uh tarmac and loads and loads and loads of exciting exciting steps and yeah like you say not just not just one person's experience but like i think the the growth of diversity within diversity if that mm -hmm, makes sense mm -hmm, so there's mm -hmm. not just like these 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 monomyths where you get Oh, uh, his, his the his his the kind of like a uh, British uh, Pakistani author. You get one of those, right? That's that's the that's their experience, mm -hmm. and 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 we're going to use that as a touchstone. That we're actually getting loads of different people writing, so we understand that. So people just get to see that there's a range of stories to be told, not just not just one. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. Cool. Well, thank you so, 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 so much for being on the show. Um, everyone who's listening, um, I'm going to put a, uh, I'll put a link to the incendiaries in the show notes and on my website. So if you have been excited and you'd like to read it for yourself, you can click through there. But of course, if you live near a bricks and mortar bookshop then and you're able to reach it, then uh, go and please do give them your trade. If people want to... Um, follow you online or on the evil twitter or um check anything out where can they find you oh of course um on twitter i'm just there as my name ro kwan um k-w-o-n and on instagram i'm on there um it's the same except there's a dot between the ro and the kwan so ro dot kwan k-w-o-n cool i'll stick a link to those in the show notes as well uh thank you very much for being on the show Thank you so much. Thank you. And everyone listening, I hope that you have a wondrous writing week uh, where things get done and discoveries are made.